Welcome everybody. My name is Alexander Greb. I am the Custom Advisory Lead for S4HANA Strategy at SAP and you're listening to the SAP Experts Podcast. Today's episode is all about the tool you hopefully use most in your life, your brain. My guest in this episode is Mark Raben, the shining CTO MEE at SAP, who is heavily involved in neuroscience to research how unartificial intelligence influences the way innovation is adopted. And Mark and me will discuss how this connection between a brain and innovation works and what is the recipe for excellence. We will tell you who will be the winner in an experienced economy, how your job can get you busted at the airport security check, and also interesting cases how rainforest can be saved and immersing experience is the one thrilling thing and way to make technology tangible. Again, lots of interesting and entertaining content here at the SAP Experts Podcast. Welcome, Mark. Great to have you. Yes, thank you. For, for starters, I don't want at the beginning to talk about the books you have written or your awesome keynotes about innovation, but about something different. And it's a story which may tell more about you than a common introduction may offer. The story is about a recent incident you have caused um, at the security check of a major airport. I'm not sure if it was Frankfurt or... It was actually it was in Frankfurt. It was in Frankfurt. Yeah. Yeah, because you were busted with a brain in your carry-on baggage. Yes, that's true. And so, so please... Tell us what's happened there and answer like two questions. First, mm -hmm. why did you have a brain in your carry-on baggage? And mm -hmm. do you have that often? And second, having a brain in your carry-on, is this more a CTO thing or a Dutch thing? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes. I, I was um, caught with a, with a brain in my, in my luggage at the Frankfurt airport. The reason why is that I do a lot of keynotes for SAP and I'm fascinated about neuroscience. It's a big topic for you. That's a big topic for me. So in my keynotes, I always talk about the evolution of not only technology, but especially also from us as human beings. And I use a lot of neuroscience in that. And to explain it during my keynote, I always have a sort of 3D model of a brain with me, mm -hmm. which, which really looks real. Okay. And I was in Frankfurt and I always Uh, I never check in my luggage, so I took mm -hmm. my luggage through the x-ray and the guy after the x-ray asked me to open my suitcase and he opened it and made it open and then of course he saw that brain <laughs> and he turned around to the lady behind the x-ray machine and he yelled at her like, you were right, this guy has a brain in his suitcase. <laughs> I think the, uh, those, so those, those, those folks have seen a lot, but probably not yet everything. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So that at least it was the first time they saw a brain in the, in the suitcase, yeah. But it's from plastic, so it's, but it really looks real. Okay, it so was, was nothing like in it's a not formaldehyde really. or... <laughs> I had my previous brain was from a horror scene. I bought that one on Amazon okay. with blood on it and so that really looks scary but uh, now I have a very scientific 3D model of a brain Yeah. okay um, talking about the brain thing you use it a lot you say during the, your keynotes and since you are talking of course as in your role as a CTO about innovation you see there is let's say a big connection between innovation itself and the way the brain works yeah so th there are a lot of parallels. One of them is that if you talk about technology, it's, I mean, it's not about technology, but very often it's about what can we do with technology, so the application of technology. And therefore, the adoption of technology is very, very important. Yeah. A friend of mine, he's a neuroscientist, and I learned a lot of him from behavioral science, yeah, which goes back to how our brain works. And sometimes we completely underestimate how difficult it is for human beings to change their habits and to change their behavior. To give you an example, and, and people who are listening to the podcast, they can do this experiment tonight at home. I have actually two for them. The first one is that if you're in your kitchen tonight, You take the drawer with all the silver, so the knives and the, and, and, and the forks, and you put that drawer into another drawer in the kitchen. So you put it in a different way, in a different uh, place. And based on science, we know that in average, it takes 
21, 22 days before you are capable to go to the right drawer because you put it in a different place. 21 days for such a simple thing. Another experiment, if you're in your bathroom tonight <laughs> and you have a partner, <laughs> what you should do is that make sure you are in the bathroom first. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you lay down at the side of your partner yeah, where he or she normally sleeps. And then you wait until your partner enters the bathroom. And it will probably go like, hey, what are you doing there? That, that's my part of the bed. And you're like, not anymore. Yeah? Then you have to see what happens. Yeah? Yeah, people will get completely frustrated because we are used to sleep at this side yeah. of the bed. Even if you travel a lot, like I'm traveling every week in a hotel, I sleep at the same side of the bed as I do at home. Although there's no reason for it. That's correct, yeah. So we have a lot of habits and it's very difficult to change them. And sometimes, for example, think about user interfaces of software. We think that if we make them better, yeah, that people start using it. But if you change something, like the drawer, you only would change a button from the left side to the right side. I mean, it will take people 20, 30 days before they get used to press on the right side and on the left side. So to use that behavioral science, you can really make the adoption of technology much better if you have that insight. And that's how I use it in my, in my keynote. So what you said is really positive because um, I worked for, for some, some weeks in, in UK and you cannot imagine how often it happened to me that I went to my rental car and um, entered the car at the wrong side and how much like an idiot I felt yeah. because this happens. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's positive what you say because um, it, it, it justifies my <laughs> yeah. weird behavior. Yeah. Um, but, but when you said like um, this is absolutely underestimated, uh, yes, um, mm -hmm. definitely we talk a lot about let's say innovation itself and mm -hmm. maybe like adoption of innovation from a more organizational standpoint. But how people have to cope with that um, is quite often underestimated. And yeah. um, like, to be honest, I'm like 42 now and I'm very often already feel like an old fart <laughs> because I think like, oh, things are changing so fast and yeah. so on. And yeah. uh, I do not really want to think like how my mother or like my, my, my recently deceased grandfather mm -hmm. really is thinking about all what is happening mm -hmm. in the world to yeah. him and so on. And it's not, I mean, that we have difficulties to change our behavior has an important reason yeah because there's always a reason behind it which is actually makes a lot of sense the reason why is that a lot of our behavior is actually implemented as a sort of routine in your brain so if you're in your kitchen you don't have to think every time where is my silver because you can you know where it is and having those routines makes you more efficient Because it, every time if you have to think about where's my silver in the kitchen, it will take a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. And to be uh, very careful with using a lot of energy, your brain has a lot of those routines. Mm -hmm. So the reason that is difficult for us to change those routines has a reason because we use those routines to save energy. So it's not, it's not wrong that we have those um, that we are not always that flexible. It has a reason. It makes us much more... Uh, so um, it's, it's more or less something like an automation that happened. So our brain can save energy because, okay, I know the situation. But this yeah. is exactly what, what, what you do when you train. Like, for example, when you are like a yeah. goalkeeper and yeah. so on. You see like... Wow, what kind of reflexes do these guys have? But these yeah. are trained. Yeah, yeah it, it's yeah. Not, nobody yeah. gets born like this. Yeah. But you do it over and over again. Against you get this. Uh, exactly. You call it like in football and yeah. car racing yeah. muscle memory. Yeah. Yeah, where you react in a certain pattern or to a certain mm -hmm. stimulus. Yeah. And probably that's the same same logic behind yeah. that. There are even uh, people can look it up on the internet. It's a video from Ronaldo. Uh, because there's a lot of science, how many hours do we have to train to really become a professional football player? Mm -hmm. yeah? And in average, it's around 10,000 hours. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a lot. An amateur football player is around 100, 150 hours. And what they do in that video, it's really cool, is that they have Ronald, which is an amateur player, mm -hmm. and he has to um, 
kick the ball in the goal. It's a sort of penalty situation uh, without a keeper. So it looks very simple. But what they do is that at the moment he gets the ball, they switch off the light. Mm -hmm. So he has to do it in complete darkness. Mm -hmm. And there you see that the amateur player in darkness, he doesn't get one ball mm -hmm. in, in the goal. But Ronaldo, even if it's dark, mm -hmm. he gets all the balls in the goal. And that's the difference, because he has 10,000 hours of training. He has a lot of routines in his brains that he can do it as a sort of on his automatic pilot. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to think about it. And that makes him better. And that's if we come down to innovation, a lot of people think yeah, innovation is being creative, just doing something you never did, whatever. But actually, innovation is something you can start doing if you have a lot of routines, like Ronaldo, you don't have to think about where does the ball go. He can do it if he see even in darkness. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, he can be very creative because he doesn't have to put a lot of energy into to do the standard work. He can put a lot of creativity in his in his football play. And that makes that makes a difference between real professionals and amateur players. Like real professionals have automated so much that they have freed, let's say, brain space. Yeah. During that activity exactly. they can like use for additional creative or value things yeah. in that case. And it also counts for an organization. I mean if you every day if it's a big mess in your organization, yeah, because your invoices are wrong that you sent to your customer whatsoever, you have to spend all your energy to correct that somehow. And there's no energy left to be creative and to think about the future and make sure you stay relevant for the future. There's no energy for that. If, I always say, if the kitchen is clean in a restaurant, <laughs> yeah, so everything is on order, then you have the time to be creative, think about the future, experiment with new things. So the one thing yeah, needs the other thing. It's not just only be creative and don't think about the business of today. No, it's keeping that balance between having enough routines, save a lot of energy on the standard work you do, and then use the energy that is left to be creative and make sure you uh, stay relevant for the future. Which turns out for me that the the recipe for excellence seems to be almost every time or maybe always the same yeah. like because that's exactly what we also do like when we say we talk about um, optimizing your processes for example yeah. like um, do not treat everything as a exception mm -hmm. because that means that you are completely like stuck with that let's say not really Creative adding activity. Yeah? yeah, exactly. Try to find out what is commodity. Yeah, what yeah. is differentiating. Yeah, yeah? yeah. and automate, um, like automate the, the commodity yeah. stuff as yeah. far as you can. If we tell our customers stick to the standards, yeah, then that has a reason because sticking to the standards, sticking to routines that are already uh, that have proven to work, that saves you energy to focus on things which are really important. Yeah. And, and I always make, make a differentiation on two types of processes. The processes where you, that you have to do that are important and the process where you differentiate yourself. And the process where you don't differentiate yourself but are still important, like sending invoices whatsoever, you have to do it, but there's no customer who will choose you as a company because you can send so nice invoices. Yeah? Nobody will do that, but they are important. But you can't allow yourself yeah, to not use routines there. Yeah, because you have to do it in a most efficient way. The, the process is where you differentiate yourself as customer. That's the reason why customers buy from us. There you can go more bespoke. Yeah? So in our terms, there you could use our cloud platform to say, okay, we built something which is really tailored to how we want to position ourselves as a company because that's where we differentiate ourselves. Mm -hmm. The challenge, though, is that those things are changing over time. Yeah, if I go back to the 90s, it was very cool to book your flight over the internet, isn't it? I mean, the, oh, we can book a flight. And you can even make a reservation for your chair. At that point of time was something, an airplane, um, how you call it? I forgot the name. A reservation or? No, no. Luftfahrtgesellschaft. Uh, <laughs> the the, the carrier, the airline. The airline, exactly. exactly. The airline could differentiate themselves yeah, with... Yeah, book on the internet and reserve. They can't do that nowadays. You need different things. Yeah, so it's changing over time. 
And that's that's important to acknowledge if it comes down to like the experience English. about the yeah the experience at or the attitude or your what what you are expecting from the experience has changed. Yeah, yeah. Expectation from your customers is mm -hmm. changing because if everybody is doing it, like every airline offers you to book a flight online. Yeah, I mean that's not a differentiator anymore. But but let's let's talk a little bit about that. When you say, for example, the things are changing, um, and we have to look quite often to understand this into the history mm -hmm. of how this all happens. Yeah. And uh, we can go like back very far, like mm -hmm. in ancient times and so on, where certain technologies are um, rose and start to exist, and then mm -hmm. other technologies came over and disrupted everything and so on. Um, there are certain patterns yeah. to see, and th these patterns always are repeat themselves. Mm -hmm. um, what What is your spin on that? Yeah. Yeah. Because I have... Um I, I'm on a lot of events and uh, I see a lot of keynotes where people try to predict the future. Mm -hmm. In German, they call themselves Zukunftsforscher. Yeah. I don't know, future. F I don't know what the English Let's call them druids or <laughs> magicians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the point is that human beings are very bad at predicting the future. So I have a lot of skepsis on that one. And to my opinion, you can also learn a lot from what happened in the past. And nothing has changed from an innovation perspective. So what you always see, and we can go back almost a million years, where human beings started to control fire. Yeah? First they found it in nature, and somehow they learned how to ignite fire themselves. But fire is only an invention. It's an idea that you bring into the practice the first time. Yeah, that's an invention. But what you always see with an invention that is on top of it, you see a lot of new applications, new innovations. Like fire is used later on for cooking. Yeah, cooking the food. It's things sort of you can do with your invention. Things you can yeah. do with the invention. Pre-digested pre, um, food changed our complete brain in the evolution. You can use fire to burn land. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that gives us the ability to get access to land that we didn't have before. You can use light to explore activity into the dark. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And that same counts for, take agriculture. Yeah, that's the same. Uh, take the transistor. For me, the transistor is the digital building block of everything we now call the digital revolution. The transistor is just an electronic switch and amplifier. Yeah. Nothing more. But we wouldn't have the transistor radio. Yeah, it started with that one. We wouldn't have a personal computer. We wouldn't have a mobile phone without the transistor, because you wouldn't have uh, integrated circuits so condensed uh, based upon the transistor. So what you see is that there's an invention, a sort of technology that opens possibilities, and then you see a lot of innovations ex uh, appearing based upon that, that technology. And the transistor is a super, super example of that. And now we see exactly the same. So if you now go to the future and say, okay, what are technologies nowadays who have that potential of the transistor, for example, then we can talk about machine learning, for example. Because machine learning, you can say, okay, it's just mathematics, yeah? But what we can do with it, I mean, it's so diverse because we can recognize pictures, we can understand speech, we can match invoices, whatever we can do with machine learning, it's very broad. So machine learning also has that same potential as a transistor, and that makes those type of technologies so interesting. But but that's exactly what, for example, happens that you can, uh, if you hype something too much, when you have something like an invention and you start to try to do technology for technology's sake, yeah, and you're not yet in the mm -hmm. innovation part because yeah. you are still not into that phase where you mm -hmm. have the applications, um, you quickly can kill also something like a technology uh, because you, you you ride the horse to death mm -hmm. without having some reason. I, for example, um, experienced that when my, my father in, in the 80s, he's, he was working at a big um, computer company and I remember it must have been like in 1987 or 1988, he brought, it, he brought home something which I at that time have not yet seen and um, it was it looked like um, like a tablet 
Mm -hmm. And it had a screen and so on. It was like around five centimeters thick and had mm -hmm. a big pen on each side. And he said, yeah, this is a tablet PC. And uh, he, he showed it to me and so on. I was, of, of course, amazed. But it was really clumsy and not really comparable with the iPads and yeah. stuff like we have today. But it was like the same like where the, the, the Xerox was like mm. the invention and the Mac was the innovation because yeah. you had the application was happening at that time. Because yeah. after this, I did not really hear anything about that technology anymore because it did not start to fly. Yeah. The application was missing. Yeah. And yeah. the the... Application came like two decades later when um, in Cupertino the people had the idea of um, pulling these technologies out of the box again and made um, something which makes sense out of it. Yeah. And that's, I think, where the brain kicks in again into that story. Yeah? Mm -hmm. how, how, what, what can I make out of something? And, yeah. and, and how can I develop this into something which really helps myself? The fire and was the invention and the cooking and so on and everything which which comes around and definitely the innovation yeah so in in fear you can see innovation is a commercial implementation of an invention that that's what it what it is and for commercial implementation you need those applications because others otherwise mm -hmm. there's i mean okay cool technology mm -hmm. so what yeah but but it's not always like there's a new technology coming up and disrupting everything around it. Like it, it we we have basically those two times two or two two yeah. sides of disruption. The big yeah. bang disruption, like one thing comes up and immediately everything else around it tanks. Yeah, it, it completely dominates everything. We we can we have these examples with Blockbuster versus Netflix yeah. and all. But this also stuff. there you can go but back into the past. Take the transistor. So the transistor, yeah, the first innovation on the transistor was the transistor radio. Yeah, yeah I know my, my dad never said radio, he always said transistor radio. Yeah. Yeah, he, he mentioned transistor radio, but the small radios and not the vacuum tube mm -hmm. radios. Um, there was a period of time where both coexisted because it was different for the transistor radio to cover all the frequencies, so it couldn't do what the tube radio could do. So there were around 10 years where both radios coexisted. But the transistor radio improved, got more capabilities, and then there was a sort of turning point where, yeah, you have a very lightweight, very cheap radio, which can do more than the tube radio, and then you have a turning point where it doesn't make any sense yeah, besides nostalgic, uh, nostalgic mm -hmm. to buy a, a, a vacuum tube radio. And that's what you see very often. So whether it's um, people that do go back into the f uh, past again, hunting and collecting versus agriculture, mm -hmm. there was a very long time both methods were coexisting. Mm -hmm. But if the, one, the other one creates a lot of yeah, new p possibilities and efficiency, then you have a sort of turning point where it switch. And the point is, of course, where if we now look into the future, that it's very, very difficult to predict those turning points. Yeah, you know that both people will, both possibilities will coexist. It's very hard for us to, um, to make a prediction on that turning point. And there you have, I mean, in all the keynotes, always comes down to that people have a different understanding of the timing of that of that turning point, you know? It's not that people say that technology will never be successful, but it's much more say, no, the one will say it will happen tomorrow, and the other one says it will be, it will take us 10 years before that technology is so far that we can use those applications that you are mentioning right now. And I, I fundamentally agree with Bill Gates. He once said that what we always do is that we tend to overestimate the impact of new technologies on the short term, and we underestimate them on the long term. Yeah. Yeah, so all of a sudden, yeah, we are flabbergasted about all those new things that are around us because we, we miss that middle piece. That's, uh, that's a good example because um, that's, for example, when you see in all these, let's say, more gradual disruption mm -hmm. elements, we see this in the car industry, what, what they are going through at the moment with yeah. electric or, let's say, alternative fuels um, versus the mm -hmm. normal petrol diesel engine. But also in our case, yeah, when we talk about um, cloud versus on-prem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They coexist yeah, at the moment. Yeah. You see exactly. So yeah. yeah. Um, but but is there from from neuroscience something like a recommendation or something like a best practice coming out of how the individual should behave to yeah. cope best with that? 
I mean, you should it, it, it always start with insight, mm -hmm. that you understand how your brain works and what is actually determining our behavior. Because if you have that insight, you would take complete different uh, decisions. I will give you a very, <laughs> I also I will always use that in my keynote, to be honest. It's an example everybody understands. If you know, uh, let, no, let's go back. In, in, in neuroscience, we talk about very often about the mammalian brain, which is not an official structure. What is that? The mammalian brain stands for the part of our brain that we share with mammals. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, very often it's called the limbic system mm -hmm. or emotional brain. And that, uh, for example, uh, motivate people with dopamine and those kind of things. It's all happening in, in that, that part of our brain. The more instinct-related yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm. It's uh, different structures that work mm -hmm. together. Um, what that part of the brain always does is that it tries to get pleasure and at the same time tries to avoid pain. Yeah, so we always want to have a nice life as easy as possible whatsoever. Mm. Everybody recognizes Comfort zone. Yeah. Comfort zone. Yeah. That's how it works. If you now think about your designer and you know that people are, that's how we are programmed, yeah? And to go for the pressure and to avoid pain. You are designing a toilet, you know, if you go to the toilet and you want to... Um, uh, you do your business there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go, oh shit, where are we going here? No, no, if you put the water through, you have ah, okay. a mm -hmm. big button and mm -hmm. you have a smaller one, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And if you press the big button, what happens? A lot of water is coming out. a lot out. of water. If you press the small one, you get a little bit of water. So that's from a rational point of view. It makes sense, isn't it? The big button... It's a lot of water, small ones. But from a neuroscience perspective, it's a complete wrong design. Because what happens if I go to the toilet, I always press the, the big, big one. button. Yeah. Because my brain's always looking for the easiest way, the shortcut, mm -hmm. having pleasure. So it's, oh, push the, the big one because it's easier. Mm -hmm. yeah? So that's, that's how we have to rethink how we design things. So if you have that insight, like, this is how people are programmed. You can use it actually in your design. Yeah? In this case, on a toilet, the same counts for if you're writing computer software whatsoever. That, that's, I, th I think, a very interesting point because that's how many of the, let's say, recent success stories in technology have started, where these kind of understanding how people work concerning like mobile phones, smartphones exactly. and so on, yep. uh, user interfaces have yep. really changed that business. Yeah, yeah. Take, take, and I don't want to come up with the Ubers or whatever because I mean, everybody has seen, but having a frictionless experience mm -hmm. yeah, is super important because human beings are always looking for the shortcut. Mm -hmm. It's how we are programmed. So if you have an experience that is not cumbersome, which is easy to do, like like an Uber, you know, and you have your receipt directly into your travel and expense and whatsoever. I mean, people tend to choose for that option. It's it's that simple. And we, I, I think, um, since since you said for for everything there is a time. Why is this now so important? Why is this experience? stuff so important why are we living now in an experience economy and not like like 50 years ago because this is something like a result of that we are privileged like w we have food when we need mm -hmm. it we have clean water w when we need it at mm -hmm. least most of us are like that privileged so yeah. like having owning collecting and so on does not have that value anymore mm -hmm. to us mm -hmm. because we are spoiled in a certain way mm -hmm. what now matters is, is is more than just like having something or owning something it's yeah. the whole experience yeah. and um since this is something like on um let's say um the consequence, which was unavoidable because people function, work that way. That goes in directly into what you say with about you have to know how the brain works and how people work to be mm -hmm. able, if you are or if you want to predict something, which mm -hmm. is always a little bit difficult and yeah. most, most of the times never works. But um, when you have at least have an understanding for this, yeah, you have a much better understanding of um, what's really going on in the mm -hmm. economy yeah. and your industry and how you exactly. should react to that. And there's nothing new. Right? People yeah. who are doing neuromarketing, they know exactly where I'm talking about. They know that if you give people on a website 40 options, yeah, people are not going to choose. Yeah, A maximum of three options is something I can cope with. 
Um, what you can also do if you want to steer on which option I'm going to choose, you can do that. You can influence people. And that's not only on, on rational arguments. Yeah, so if I, for example, I offer two computers, and I say the one is a cheaper one for 800 euros, and it has a, I don't know, 500 megabyte hard disk. And I offer you one for 1,600 euros with a four terabyte hard disk. Two options. People, it's easy for them to choose because it's simple, small hard disk, and cheaper one with a big hard disk. But I don't influence. What I can do is that I influence which option you're going to choose. And what neuromarketers do, they add a third option. And the third option is a computer who is even more attractive, like, I don't know, eight gigabytes, and you make it cheaper than that other option of eight gigabytes for, let's say, 1,200 euros. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, then that middle option gets more attractive. So, get more attractive. Yeah. And also mm -hmm. the people who would go for the 800 euros now go for the 1,200 euros uh, computer. So you can even buy by which not only the amount of options you're offering to make people choose, but also how you offer those options. There's a whole science behind it and how you can influence what people do. This example really excites me because um, I, have, I have a similar experience. Mm -hmm. um, a few years ago, maybe like, okay, maybe 10 years ago, um, I talked about a product manager at a car company. And that car company at that time was more, it was not really the premium segment. Mm -hmm. It was okay, it was good, it was fine, but it was not something like the big premium players. But they came out with a, let's say, luxury class vehicle. And I said to them, because in the, in the media and so on, all, everybody said, like, oh, is this the right decision? Because they are not known for doing cars like that. And I had a, a talk with, with um, one of the product managers and I said, like, do you expect um, to really sell so many of them? And he said, no. And this is absolutely not what counts because what we're aiming to with that luxury mm -hmm. class vehicle mm -hmm. is not, not the luxury class, is to be exactly accomplish that what you told, to make the middle, class, the middle class more attractive and, um, yeah. and sell better because it's not the one at the top again. Like mm -hmm. the boundaries um, fall down mm -hmm. and, the P and, and it gets more approachable psychology-wise to people because it's not like the top class yeah. anymore. Yeah. That, that's absolutely true. And, and for a lot of those decisions that we make, they are happening in our unconscious part of the brain. And afterwards, we build a story out of it. So it's not that we make, with our conscious part, a very conscious decision. Very often, yeah, a decision has been made by your brain, <laughs> unconscious. And then you come up with a story why you bought that car or why you bought those new shoes or why. Because that storyteller in your head always tries to make sure that everything is consistent with what your brain is doing. And that's a complete different way of thinking about how people make decisions than think about, okay, they're very rational and they, <laughs> they always choose that what's, what's uh, from a rational point of view the best option for them. You are one of the fathers of, let's say, the immersive experience truck mm -hmm. or the trucks there are several ones of them that we at sap have i think it's not no just no one. From, from the immersive experience or from the immersive experience yeah, but, yeah. but that was implemented the truck into the mobile the mobile version yeah. of it yeah. and um since i think a cto is not always in the let's say in the truck business um this was I assume something, what we talked about right now, which goes heavily into that, what's happening inside these trucks or mm -hmm. these rooms. Can you tell about this? What this is, what we are doing there, what you did there, what was your part mm -hmm. into that and what people can experience there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so this goes back to 2017 um, where we got a sort of assignment to develop a complete new way of how to tell a story and how to make technology understandable for everybody, uh, whether it's people from a line of business or technical people whatsoever. Um, and we started with a workshop, mm -hmm. but we didn't do a very traditional workshop, like putting people in a design thinking room and put a gun on their head and say, now we want to have a good idea because I, I don't believe in that because 
good ideas come in a moment where you're in the Don't shower, in your car, whatsoever. Yeah. So what we did is that we did a sort of um, design thinking workshop on the road. So we went with a whole team in two different cars. We went to a theme park in the Netherlands, the Efteling. We went to Boom Chicago, which is sort of improvisation uh, theater. We went to the Heineken brand experience in Amsterdam. So we did a lot of things. S sounds like a fun trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> and in the car, we collected all the learnings yeah. and, and did brainstorming and tried to collect all the ideas and, 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 and to work to an idea what, what, could, what we could do for SAP. And the idea which came out of that is that let's make sure that we put technology into reality, so in a city, because uh, what happens in the city, everybody can resonate with that, everybody can understand that. But the problem, of course, is that how do you mimic a city? Yeah. The first idea was we are going to buy an island somewhere <laughs> in, in, uh, in, in, in the neighborhood of Dubai and we're going to build our own city. That was a little bit... A little bit costly. That was a little <laughs> bit costly. So what we did, and the code name was in the beginning White Room, is obviously we build a white room, so a room which is completely white, and we can mimic a whole city in one room. So we can switch from uh, a plant to a retail store to a stadium to a whatever. We can to a harbor. We can go everywhere in the split of a second. And that was the reason, uh, that was the name, a lot of people know it under the name SAP City. That was the reason we called it SAP City, because it was actually mimicking a whole city in one room. And what we do then is that we had two levels of the city. So above the city, you talk about normal things that happening in the city, like you have to replenish retail stores, you have consumers buying stuff in a retail store, whatsoever, the normal daily life, what's happening there. That was above the city. And below the city, you have the plumbing. So below the city, in our terms, we had the whole architecture like systems and integrations, which are necessary to make the whole city run. That, uh, that's the idea. And with that, we can bring business people and technical people in one concept. Because with the business people, you talk above the city, what can we do with technology? And with the technical, what systems do we need and how should they work integrated whatsoever? So that was a sort of idea that we had. Uh, we also use a lot of, because I work together with a guy in Belgium, Jeff Stas. Uh, he's famous of the Red Monkey Company, and he learned me a lot about how to drive innovation yourself, especially within a corporate. Uh, so we use a lot of those ideas to drive this innovation forward, to make sense that it's not just a nice idea, but you really get, get to something. So what we did is that we said, okay, we don't spend a lot of money on the idea and developing the idea, we just start with it. So we got some money to build the first room here in Waldorf and in, uh, on the fourth floor in building 21 to learn from it. And so that was the first thing we did. We presented that to the board. Mm -hmm. uh, we developed a whole, we call it content management system so that everybody within SAP can build their own 360 presentation in that city. To, so to, to interrupt in that, yeah? because... Um, the technology, since you're working with protectors and so on, because what you're doing mm -hmm. in a certain way to describe this is like a mixture of the matrix meets a holodeck. Yeah. Um, the technology, was this already there? Did you... Yeah, or yeah actually from a technology perspective, it was not. I mean, we have a big table, which is touchable, where, where you have a 3D city on it. You have projectors around you that are actually projecting the scene where you're in in the city. So we brought actually all kind of existing technologies together in a way which was never done before. Like a combination of already existing things into something like yeah. a new stuff, which is also yeah. an innovation. Which yeah. is an innovation. It's an application yeah. Yeah. of innovation. It's not an invention, but it's uh -huh. an innovation. You use a lot of inventions that you yeah. combine in a different way, which, which makes it an innovation. Yeah. And yeah, we rolled out those rooms now, and I think we have 10 rooms globally at SAP. We have the mobile version, which is the, the intelligent enterprise truck here specifically for, for MEE. Um, and we even won, uh, probably you know, we won the Hassel Plattner Founders Award with this, uh, um, um, with this innovation. So it was a really cool thing to do. And it all goes back, and that's my, my thing in life, my red thread, is to make technology understandable and relevant for everybody. Yeah? And okay, that's... 
that immersive experience is one way how you can uh, how you can do that in a completely different way than we normally do with powerpoints and and all that and that's i think this is a really beautiful example because um we always say like powerpoint or these powerpoint battles where you like mm -hmm throw hundreds of slides on people mm -hmm. this is definitely out yeah. yeah but also on the other hand and this is what we also like realizing experiencing and what we get like feedback from customer like the let's say the no-brainer demoing where you mm -hmm. show like without a context and so on features and functions to people this is also out this is nothing where really really people can connect to something new because they always start to like compare what do I have now and what do I see there? This is no way to get people emotionally connected to mm -hmm. something new. Yeah. But this is where your innovation really works beautiful because people can touch, people can see, people can feel and experience how their like their personal future could look like. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you still have, I mean, that room, you can do a very bad presentation at the room as well. So sure. it still comes down to, Story. do I understand mm. what the real problem or challenges of my customer? And can I somehow build a bridge to all the capabilities that we have? Um, that's always a very important mechanism, whatever you're doing, yeah, that if you don't understand their problem or their challenge, you can start talking about X O whatsoever, yeah. But for for the customers, probably you so, so what, you know, because it's not it's it's very important in our bubble, but not for somebody who's producing cars or lipstick or whatsoever. You understand? And sometimes we forget that a little bit. We think like we live so much in our own SAP cocoon, and think like the whole world wants to know what X and O is. Guys, that's not the case. Yeah. And I don't. I mean, X and O is very relevant. Uh, but we have to make it relevant based upon the challenges and, and, and um, uh, opportunities our customers are facing. And, and that's, I mean, that's an open door, I'm saying, but very often we don't do it. And we start explaining what X and O is without the context of, of a customer and their, and their challenges. And this is a really good um, bridge to another thing that you and your team and your people um, recently accomplished and um, it's an example which is maybe not so like prominent and so mm -hmm. openly visible like uh, the trucks and the, the rooms but um, you were working uh, on a nice app um, which is a little bit maybe in a small on a smaller scale but helping challenging people too and this was a really beautiful example of how to implement these um, um, methodologies. Can you tell about that? Let me mention two uh, projects. I, they're really worth mentioning. One is very simple. I mean, uh, it goes back to, and that's the app you refer to, is um, how to cope with dementia. So my father, he, he just died, but he suffered dementia. And if you talk with somebody who has dementia, it's very difficult to have a normal discussion because they are sitting in front of you and they don't say anything. So you constantly have to keep the conversation going yourself. It's very difficult. The only thing how it works if you talk about the past. So if you talk about pictures or about in the past or how you're at, because I had pictures of me on the, on the bike and you saw my father trying to learn me how to ride a bike or when he brought me to kindergarten whatsoever. That's the moment where they start resonating, yeah, because that's something they can remember and they start telling you about that situation in the past. And the effect of that is that that gives them a good feeling. So they get relaxed because a lot of dementia people have a sort of they're always afraid because they don't yeah. understand Nervous the world things. anymore. Mm -hmm. So it improves their quality of life. So what can you do with technology, <laughs> you would say? So Netherlands, they work together with a partner. We did a lot of science around how to improve the quality of life of dementia. And the outcome is that we developed an, an, an application on an iPad with which the family can uh, um, store all kinds of pictures, videos, whatsoever, from their dad in the past. So all kind of memories that they put in that app. Because the problem is that if you are not there, there's nobody we can talk about your history with your daddy, isn't it? So they put actually those memories into an app. So at the moment you are not there, then the people who are taking care for your dad, they can use that application to go back into his memory and start talking about it 
to improve their quality of life. And that's something we are now piloting at, I think, three or four um, um, elderly houses in, uh, in the Netherlands. Uh, another one is, uh, you can, if you Google it, you will find Rainforest Connection. Rainforest Connection is Topper White. What he does is um, he's collecting sounds in the rainforest. And he does that with old mobile phones. He puts solar panels on, in, okay. on them, hangs them up in the trees in the rainforest. And if he detects a sound of a chainsaw, he wants rangers because there's a lot of illegal logging yeah. in those rainforests. Mm -hmm. So the, rain f uh, the rangers can go there and they can check if it's illegal logging, then they can arrest the people. And we said, like, could we use machine learning to predict that illegal logging is happening in the future without the sound of the chainsaw? Because that's a direct relationship. Yeah. Isn't it? And sometimes uh, maybe too late because you have huge exactly. areas to cover and yeah. so on. And yeah, yeah. So there were actually two problems that we that we cope with, and um, and Topper collected a lot of jungle sounds. So we used that to find indicators of animal sounds that are indicating that illegal logging is happening in the future. And we found one indicator was the sound of a macaw. It's a sort of parrot flying around there, but it was. Uh, reverse. So if the sound wasn't there, it gives an indication for illegal logging happening within the next six, six till seven minutes. Okay, something like an early warning system because like the animals yeah, flew so away. Yeah, we were also mm -hmm. like, why, how does it work? And Topper, he's, he's very often in that in the rainforest. He knows directly, he said, now the point is that that macau is always making sound. So it's all like, yeah. At the moment he sees something, he's quiet. He shuts up. So that's probably the reason that if we don't see that sound, that something is happening in the forest. Which is not supposed to be there. Which is not supposed to be there. And that was exactly what we're now using to send the rangers seven minutes before the chainsaw goes on. So that's a very nice... And if you go back to our early discussion, I mean, machine learning... It's mathematics, it's yeah. technology. You know, what you can do with it, like predicting illegal logging based upon the sounds of animals in a rainforest, that's a super cool part. I mean, an app was an app. Yeah? But if you can use an app to store the memories of families to give your father, if he's suffering dementia, a better quality of life, yeah, that is the application. And that's where the value is. But all these ideas are more or less an effect of unartificial intelligence, like people. Yeah, <laughs> and, the, and the artificial intelligence then is executing. Uh, do you think like this, this first part, the idea generation, the more creative part, will at sometimes also be something which will happening or which will happen in, in the world of mathematics, systems, algorithms, and so on? Yeah, I mean that that's a big. That that's a big. Uh, my my answer is I don't know, I don't know. Um, I know that technology can mimic creative processes. Yeah? So they can combine all kinds of things like, like we will do. Um, what's very important for me, and that sounds very philosophical now, uh, very often I also use it as a title of my keynote, where if it's human or technology, is it human and technology? Because it's very often discussion I ran into. And for me, that's the wrong starting point because technology is a human activity. Yeah, like where we started in the evolution, you wouldn't have this brain that is consuming 20% of your body energy yeah, uh, without cooking food. Yeah, we would, without that technology, we wouldn't have this brain. So the inventions that we did and the way how we evolved was always part of humankind. So it's not human or human and no, human is technology. It's us. It's not something different. It's not something in a different box. It's not like you have technology. You have, no, it's us. And it's our creativity as human being to make those inventions. So I don't even see that different between human and technology. For me, it's exactly the same. Great. Looking at the time a little bit, um, we have unfortunately to close this very interesting discussion, but definitely not without asking you, surely people like what you said. How can they get more of you? How can they 
connect with you and how can they follow you? How we do the advertisement. The advertisement <laughs> part now is coming. <laughs> yeah, I'm a normal give me, guy. Give me your pitch. <laughs> I'm a normal guy working for SAP. So everybody can look me up. My name is Mark Raben. Yeah? In Germany, they call me Marcus. Yeah? So you can find me as Mark Raben or Marcus Raben. Uh, as I said, I'm CTO for the MEE region, uh, doing those awakening sessions and, and doing projects. Um, so if people want to have a really different type of presentation in front of their customers or for their event, they can always uh, approach me. If they have interesting use cases within their customers, say, okay, that would be cool to really put that into practice and the customer is willing to go live and uh, that would, another be, uh, would be another reason to contact me and see what we can do there. I also started my own business as a, as a secondary, secondary activity within SAP. Um, and that has everything to do with keynote speaking and coaching. I'm also a speaker coach. So, um, yeah, if you know outside of SAP opportunities for me as a keynote speaker, more than welcome to, uh, to share them with me. Um, if you want to, have help, want to have help with your presentation, yeah, me as a coach, I can also help you there. And the easiest way to contact you probably since you, I think, are very active on LinkedIn. And I'm active media. on LinkedIn. Yeah, so on LinkedIn Would you will find that. me. Yeah, long LinkedIn. I, I do most things I do on LinkedIn, to be honest, so mm -hmm. you will find me there. We made some interesting videos for the MEE newsletter, um, especially around brain and technology. So a lot of the things we discuss here are also in those videos, so people can also take a look at those uh, if they're interested. Perfect. Mark. It was great to have you. Thank you for having me here. Thanks a lot and hope we see you again. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.